Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. confession this morning is from Proverbs 25 verse 24. It is better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. That verse may sound familiar and that's because this verse is exactly the same as Proverbs 21 verse 9 and nearly the same as Proverbs 21 verse 19 where the preferred abode is the desert. And it's correlative to Proverbs 19:13 and to Proverbs 27, verse 15, which inform us that the contentious woman is like a continual dripping. In this fact alone, wisdom teaches us that if something is important, it bears repetition. And what's repeated here is the principle that an unhappy woman is difficult to live with. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. The wisdom of Proverbs repeatedly tells us of the importance of women and the polar opposites of their impact. Wisdom is a lady full of light and life and wealth and blessing. And an immoral woman leads men to their death. A wise woman builds her house and a foolish woman tears it down. A good wife is a gift from the Lord, worth more than rubies, and a contentious woman cannot be lived with. Women are uniquely suited to either be a blessing or a burden to those around them, because God designed them to be spiritual thermostats. Women have a key role in setting the temperature or the mood in the home. Therefore, wise men and women take this truth to heart. Men and boys, for you this proverb means that it's worth your while, it's worth your time, your effort, and your money to spend and to be spent for the sake of the women in your life. Cherish them. Invest in them. Love them. Don't take advantage of them. Don't walk all over them and don't ignore them. Provide for their needs and sacrifice on their behalf. Give your wives and daughters and sisters the security of unfailing love and service. Because when you do that, you are being like Christ. His love for his bride sanctifies her and cleanses her. He gives us rest and peace and security that we might become holy and patient and pure. So if you do this, you will be leading by example. And by God's grace, you may stay out of the doghouse. Ladies and girls, this means that you must accept the responsibility that God has laid on your shoulders. You are not an inconsequential part of the family or community. And you are not a free agent whose actions are not connected to the whole. Rather, you play a vital role in the world. 
This means that depending on whether or not you are living in submission to God's law, you will be either a great blessing to those around you or a great burden upon them. Take inventory of your life and determine where you are and where you are going. Submit to Christ and don't be quarrelsome. Peter tells us that the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit is very precious in the sight of God. So if you find your rest and your peace in Jesus Christ, then you are free to let go of the desires and the frustrations that drive quarrels. This reminds us of the need to, of the need to confess our sins, so if you're willing and able, please kneel. tell uh, by the title of the message this morning and the prayer I just prayed, um, we are starting a new series. We're starting into the book of James. And our text this morning is chapter 1, verse 1 of James. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Now as you can tell, what may once have been obvious is not necessarily so anymore. These verses, or this verse, invites us to wrestle with specifics. There are several Jameses in the New Testament. So one of the things we're going to be looking at today is, is who is this James, the one that writes the book of James. And it's not completely irrelevant in one sense, it's sort of irrelevant. This is the Word of God, and the Word that we have is, is helpful regardless of who wrote it, and it's acknowledged as God's Word. But in another sense, it is relevant, uh, because it clarifies some of the content, and it gives nuances that are helpful for making application. Um, so sometimes when you narrow down specifics, you can help answer some of the problems that are raised if you don't narrow them down. So we're going to be looking at questions like, who is James, who is he writing to, when did he write it, and what does he have to say? Now obviously this last question is going to be the focus of the rest of the series. What does he have to say? Well, that's what we're going to be preaching on for probably months to come. Um, but I do hope to give a brief outline of some of the, the key or main major themes of the book of James today, especially as the, they inform the answers to the other questions we are asking. And the final point we want to go over today is, is that I want to clue you in on why we are studying the book of James in the first place. There are 65 other books in the Bible, and you can preach topical sermons and series. Um, so it's worth considering what are we up to? Why, why are we studying this? And then one final thing is that some sermons are more teaching sermons and other sermons are more exhortational or others are more encouragement. And I want to be upfront that as is the nature with many introductory sermons to series, this message will lean towards the teaching side of things. Um, but I hope it, both, it will both interest you and increase your appetite and ability to digest James coming exhortations and encouragements, and I hope that you will be both 
encouraged and exhorted also. So who was James, and when did he write this book? Now, there are three uh, primary candidates in the Bible. There are four James mentioned in the New Testament. Uh, the first James is James the Apostle, the brother of John, son of Zebedee. The second is uh, James, the son of Alphaeus, another apostle. Um, the third is the James that is the father of Judas, so one, another apostle, Judas, the son of James. And then the fourth is James, the brother of Jesus. So the, uh, James, the son of Alphaeus, so as one of the apostles, is, is one that we don't know very much about. We know very little about him, except that he was an apostle, and his mother Mary witnessed the crucifixion and the resurrection. We know that about him. But we don't know much else, and he doesn't figure prominently in the, in the New Testament, so we can assume that it's not him, because James is assuming that he would be known. James, a bondservant of God, of the Lord Jesus, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. That's all we have for introduction. Uh, this, the other James, the father of, of, Judah, of Judas, we know even less about. All we know is that he was the father of Judas. And so he is, he is not a one that we are going to consider as a serious contender. Um, and this leaves us with James, the brother of Jesus, and James, the son of Zebedee. James, the brother of Jesus, became a leader in the church after the murder of James, the son of Zebedee. Or at least he was prominent in the church at the time of the murder of James, the son of Zebedee. But he became very prominent. He became the chief representative of the church in Jerusalem after uh, James, the son of Zebedee, was, was uh, martyred. In the Gospels, James, the brother of Jesus, appears a couple of times listed with Mary and his other brothers. Uh, with uh, Joseph and Simon and Judas. So in a, a few times we have reference to Mary and Jesus' brothers and sisters. And so they would appear outside of, of, the, of the room and people would tell Jesus, hey, your family's waiting for you outside. Um, or or they, uh, they, when they were questioning Jesus' authority, they said, isn't this the carpenter's son? Aren't his brothers James and Judas and Joseph and Simon? Don't we know, don't we know them? Uh, Paul met with James, the brother of, Christ, brother of Jesus, um, in, uh, in Jerusalem three years after his conversion. So let's start doing some timeline work here. Um, we hold to that Jesus died in AD 30, and Pentecost happened shortly thereafter. Resurrection and Pentecost happened shortly thereafter. And after the Pentecost, after Pentecost, the church... Uh, gathered and grew rapidly in Jerusalem, uh, and there were some issues within the church, so they appointed Stephen uh, and the other deacons to the church, and Stephen gives a sermon that is powerful and is convicting, and, and the Jews turn around and stone him, and Paul was there. And so this is, uh, this is still all early on in the year A.D. 30, that Paul is there at the stoning of Stephen, and, and this great persecution arises in A.D. 30. And Paul starts chasing Christians down. He gets papers from, uh, from the Jews to start sending them off to, to prison, uh, sentencing them to death. 
and God stops him in his tracks at the, the, the entrance into Damascus, and, and Paul's converted. And we know from Galatians that he stays in, uh, in Damascus and then the areas around it there for three years, uh, and then he goes, to, uh, he goes back to Jerusalem three years after his conversion. So we can say roughly A.D. 33, Paul goes back to Jerusalem and meets with James, the brother of Jesus. And, 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 and in A.D. 33. In Acts 12, verse 17, Peter tells the household of John Mark to tell, he says, tell James and the brethren that God has freed me from prison. And this is right after, uh, this is right after they murdered James the Apostle, James the son of Zebedee. So, uh, Herod uh, in AD 44, this is now 14 years after the resurrection, Herod uh, seizes James and puts him to death, James the Apostle, and Peter then is arrested and God miraculously saves him from the prison. And Peter walks out in the night and he finds himself in the street and he, and Rhoda answers the door, you remember the story, and, and uh, and she didn't believe it was him. They said, the, and she went and told the people, and they said, "Oh, it's his angel or his ghost." Um, and and then she's like, "No, no, it's Peter." And so they came to the door, and it was Peter. And Peter fellowshiped with them, and then he 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 tells them, "Tell James and the brethren that God has done this." And there, uh, Peter exits the story of of of, of Acts. And so we we see there though that James. This is James, the brother of Jesus, is already pr figuring prominently in the church at the time of the Peter's arrest and James' murder. Um, after this, we encounter James addressing the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. Uh, so, in Acts 15 is is the great uh, council where they were dealing with the Gentiles and coming into the church and how how are we going to handle the differences in approach there, and James addresses the council, and actually it reads as if he presides over the council. And then, uh, and then in Acts 21, Paul went to meet with James. This is years after his, uh, it's after his first and second and third missionary journeys. He stops in at Jerusalem, and he meets with James and the elders, and they counsel him to go to the temple and, to, and, and pay some vows. And uh, and then uh, that's the last we hear of James in the New Testament, uh, and and we have uh, tradition gives to us that James was martyred in A.D. 62. So that's what we know about James, the brother of of Christ. What we know about James, the apostle, the son of Zebedee, is this: he was an apostle. He was the brother of John. Uh, together they were called the Sons of Thunder, or Boanerges is, is the Greek there. He's uh, one of the first disciples. He was called, uh, Peter and Andrew were called, and James and John were called immediately after. Uh, tradition tells us that, that Peter and Andrew, James and John were all working together. They were all fishermen and they, they were in a related business. So they, they had close contact with one another. James, the apostle, was singled out by Jesus, along with Peter and John. 
um, at the house of Jairus and the healing of his daughter. We read this in Mark 37. And he, Jesus, permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So we see James being singled out there. He bore witness to the transfiguration along with Peter and John. Um, we see uh, James and John and Peter uh, privately questioning Jesus after Jesus gives his, his declaration that the temple is going to be destroyed in Mark 13. So now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled. And at the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before that Jesus was betrayed, uh, Peter and James and John were separated up from among the other disciples. So they all went to the garden and then Jesus took, uh, well, and he took Peter, James and John with him and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death, stay here and watch. So we see Jesus regularly setting aside this close inner circle within the, 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 the apostles. James met with, uh, James the apostle met with Paul in Jerusalem shortly before his murder in AD 43 or 44. We get that from Galatians 2 also. And actually, I want to turn there and read that. Galatians 2. Verse 9. Um, so this is when Paul first, first comes to the apostles. Um, he, says, he says this. And when James, or actually it's his second time in Jerusalem, but it's the first time he meets all the apostles. And, he's, and, he's, and his defense here in Galatians is, is his, his, his gospel for the Gentiles. And this is what he says. Um, but on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles, and when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the circumcised. So we see that there that that Peter, James, and John maintain this inner, they're, they're pillars of the gospel, they're pillars of the church, and they're identified that way by Paul uh, immediately before uh, this is with the year within within a year or two of James's martyrdom. So, am I losing you yet? <laughs> okay. Not too many blank stares yet. Um, so. Uh, and shortly after that, his meeting with Paul, uh, King Herod sets him apart because he wants to please the Jews, and he beheads him uh, around the Feast of Passover at A.D. 44. Now, of these Jameses, James, the brother of Jesus, and James, the son of Zebedee, are the only two who are likely candidates because of, given the lack of explanation that we have at the title of the book. And most modern-day commentators take Jesus' brother to be the favored candidate. Um, and that is related to a couple of things. There's, there's a, um, a, 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 scholars have assumed for some time now that, that the books of the Bible were written at later dates, 
as in for late first century or even second century, which flies in the face of some of the self-declaration within the scriptures. Um, and so they make assumptions about when books were written. And so the arguments for, se several of the arguments for Jesus' brother being the, the author of the book of James land on uh, the book was written too late to have been written by James the Apostle. But that's a, self, that's a circular argument. If, if you say, well, the book was written too late for James the Apostle to have written it, it it's because uh, if James the Apostle wrote it, it would, it would be too early. Well, uh, yes, obviously, uh, because James died in AD 44. And the argument is that he couldn't have written it before AD 44. But there's nothing in the text that precludes that. And in fact, it, it seems... The, the, that there's good reason to think otherwise. Uh, now, there's no absolute answer to this. Uh, there's, it's not a, you know, this, thus saith the Lord, James the Apostle, the son of Zebedee, wrote this. There's nothing like that in Scripture. But recent studies by faithful men, um, now I've been I'm leaning heavily on the work of Pastor Jeff Myers, who's a PCA pastor in St. Louis, um, who gave a lecture, a, a series of lectures about James at, in 2006. Well, also, Pastor Greg Strawbridge, who's a CREC pastor, who his, their church actually planted CCLC. Um, he's, he's written a paper regarding this, too. Um, but recent studies by faithful men point to evidence of a growing consensus that supports James the Apostle as the author of the book of James, James the son of Zebedee. And much of this evidence is tied to dating. Um, the issue of when James wrote this book uh, is, is it, there are issues within the book if you, if you date the book late. Um, one is that is an argument from silence. Um, the book never deals with Gentiles. It's a very Jewish book. Um, the... Uh, the, there are no references to the Gentiles or the issues of incorporating them into the church. And yet he's writing to the church that's scattered abroad or in the diaspora or the, the, the dispersion of the church. Well, that would not have been the case very far into the life of the church because as we read in Acts, the church quickly spread to the Gentiles and it spread quickly among the Gentiles. And as soon as it did, it brought in... Uh, challenges of, of how do you how do you relate the two um, another aspect of this related to this Jewishness of the book is James treats the law differently than we see Paul and other authors treating the law he he assumes that the Jewish law is a positive thing and that 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 the interpretation the right interpretation of the law is a good thing, that, that, that the works of the law are Christian works. Uh, like, Jesus never, says, ne Jesus never says bad things about the Jewish law. He says, you've misinterpreted, you've misunderstood it. But he never says, the law is bad. In fact, he says, not one, jot, one, not one tittle will pass away until the entire law is fulfilled. And James sounds a lot like Jesus in a lot of places. Um, that, for instance, in chapter 2, starting at verse 10, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. 
Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. And related to these things are the, uh, the, 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 the theme of justification by works or justification by the law. Um, and, and if we posit or, or conclude that James wrote this early on, like in the year or two after Pentecost, that's what I'm... So when, when you hear arguments, in, in the, I don't know if you've read commentators on James, but there's, there are positions for late authorship and early authorship. And when they're talking about early authorship, they're talking about uh, late 40s into the 50s and, and, and all the way up to the death of James, uh, the brother of Jesus. But that's not early enough. Uh, we're talking about early, early authorship. Um, if we posit that James wrote this in the first year or two after the resurrection, uh, it alleviates this pitting of James against Paul. It, it, it's, it, it, it eliminates that problem because he's talking to a unified Jew, Jewish audience, who, who are Christians, Christians, Jews that have accepted the gospel, Jews that believe that the law is only good through faith in Christ. And so then the law then becomes effective in changing our hearts so that we can do the good works that James tells us to do constantly. So um, in conclusion, I'm, I'm coming from a position of this is an early uh, early book, probably the first one of the first two books written in the New Testament. Um, so it, it was written very early in the life of the church, shortly after Pentecost, and in reaction to the persecution that we read about in Acts chapter 8 that followed the, the, the stoning of Stephen. So given this early date, who are the 12 tribes he's talking to and why are they scattered? In short, James is writing to the Jewish Christians who were scattered in the persecution that followed Stephen's murder. There are also many indications that James' primary audience is the ministers among the diaspora. So uh, when he writes this book, he, he says, James, um, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. The name James in Greek is actually Jacobus. And, and so it, 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 in English, a better translation of James is Jacob, but just because of the way translations happen from Greek to Latin, from Latin to English, uh, or actually from Latin to French, and then from French to English, we call Jacobus James, though we also have Jacobs. Uh, and so in Hebrew or in Greek, they would have associated James with Jacob. And so here you have Jacob writing to the 12 tribes. Uh, it, it calls to remembrance for Jews uh, the blessing of Jacob at the end of, G of, of Genesis, where he's, he's, he's giving words to the leaders of the tribes. He's giving words, he's giving blessings and, and prophecies about what they're going to be doing. And so um, Jacob writing to the 12 tribes brings that uh, imagery to the forefront of these Jewish Christians' minds. Um, and then we see through the book of James that he uses this uh, direct address of my brethren. My brethren. And he does it 12 different times. My brethren, my brethren, my brethren. 
And it's not because he doesn't know how to say brothers and sisters, because he does know how to say that, but modern, common, modern translations will change brethren to brothers and sisters. Um, so so J- James is addressing, he's addressing the church at large, the church dispersed because of the persecution, and specifically targeting the leaders, which doesn't make it um, irrelevant to the body, because leaders are to be examples. Um, but it does make uh, it does change some of the nuance of certain passages in the text. So when James talks about uh, a, a, the tongue is a fire and a, and, a, and a small fire can set on fire an entire forest, or the tongue is a rudder that can steer the ship, he's, he's talking uh, he's, is talking to individuals about how important it is how we use our tongues. But in a more nuanced sense, he's talking about to, to the leaders, the people who speak to the body of Christ and direct. He says, uh, if you bridle the horse's mouth, you can control the whole body. And he's talking about the leaders and the way in which they are to encourage and shepherd the churches that they are over in the diaspora, in, in, in the, the persecution from the Jewish, uh, the, the Jewish priests and, and from the high priests. So he's, he's writing to them to encourage them to remain faithful and to practice wisdom in the face of these trials they're encountering. Because they would have been tempted to stop doing what they were doing because of the persecution. So we see the church growing by leaps and bounds, and we see Stephen appointed to, to, to do acts of work, do works of mercy, do acts of goodness to give, uh, allow the, the apostles more time to do uh, prayer and, and ministry of the word. And then what's that get Stephen? It gets him stoned. And James is counteracting a, a broad or a prevalent worldview about what is God doing in the world. Uh, what's, what's salvation from the coming Messiah supposed to look like? And there was this, this broad anticipation of a political victory, of, of you know, a, a, a subsiding of the Romans. And in one sense, that's absolutely true, but God takes the long view. It took 380 years for that to happen. Uh, but in the short term, the, the means that God uses to ha- that makes that happen is faithful service through persecution, faithful obedience, wisdom. And this brings us to what does James write about? Now, as we read through, as, I, as I'm going to preach through this, James does appear to bounce around a little bit from topic to topic. It, it seems at times a little abrupt in the chain. But I hope we're going to make some stronger connections uh, than they appear at present as we get to them. Um, but James writes about patience and suffering. Uh, he starts out right after verse 1 with verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The other thing he, another thing he talks about is wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So wisdom is, is putting faith into practice. It's wisdom is... Uh, you, you have this patient endurance, now you need to know what the right thing to do is in, in that endurance. How do you do that? What is wisdom? He talks about true and hypocritical religion, doing good works versus talking about doing them. 
Uh, he says, if anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue and deceives, he deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Uh, another major theme is justice regarding the rich and the poor. If, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So he, he, he speaks a lot about justice, about what's right and what's wrong. How do we treat the people? Who do we, who do we honor and how do we honor them? How do we live in community when there's differences among us? Because that's what Christ calls us to, is to be one body, and yet we are comprised of, of many different factions or, or, or parts, different pieces, but and some of those appear on the surface to be at odds with each other, just like James and Paul, but they're not. And so he's calling us to wisdom in, in, in that. He teaches that faith without works is dead. Um, there's verse, lots of verses there. We'll get into that when we get there. Uh, he gives admonition to teachers about the dangers of the tongue, which I already mentioned. He talks about peace and humility and the foundation for peace. He says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And there's a lot more going on in this book. I, I'm just giving you kind of a smattering of this. Uh, he gives encouragement and instruction. He, 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 he gives teaching on on how you, how you treat the sick, how you treat suffering. He's teaching about how to pray and the power of prayer. He teaches about confession of sin and more. So James is a, a powerful book. Now, why did I choose to go here? Why are we going here? What's the purpose of, of, of this, this series? The first answer is pretty uh, basic. We... We, we attempted to be on a rotation of Old Testament to New Testament and Old Testament, New Testament. That's kind of the general rotation of our, of our sermon uh, series. And we also try to, to rotate through the genres of, of, of the scripture. So there's narrative, there's prophecy, there's doctrinal, there's psalms, there's wisdom, and, and so on. And we have not spent much time in an epistle for a long time. Uh, the last time we studied an epistle was Galatians, and we finished that back in January 2012. So it's been it's been a while since we've done a New Testament epistle. The second reason is that it's really good for us to have a challenge now and then. It's good for us to work through hard stuff. Now, challenges have surrounded the book of James for a long time. Uh, it, there, there, are, there are things about it that are a little bit enigmatic. Uh, like anointing the sick with oil. What's that all about? That's a challenge. Um, it's good for us to work through challenges if we want to be nourished by the rich food that God has for us and for our souls in the book of James. This, uh, the, the, the challenges of the book, there, there's more than just you know, the oil thing. There's also debate on who the author was and when it was written. Um, if it is what I said it was, um, it wouldn't have received much circulation in the broader church until later because it was to Jewish Christians. And the Jewish church didn't mesh with the, the broader church until uh, years later. And that's partly why this book wasn't received into the canon of scripture officially until the second century, which was later than most of the other books. Um, 
Martin Luther had a beef with James. Martin Luther said, this is an epistle of straw. Uh, he, he was comparing, it was, it, it, he, he still left it in the canon of scripture, but he called it a, an epistle of straw by comparison to the books of Romans and Ephesians and Galatians. He said, those are important. We, we know James, that's comparatively, that's, that's not so good. Um, and his beef there had to do with his interpretation of uh, doing good works that James is talking about. He, I, I believe he didn't really get what James was saying when James says what he was saying. And we'll, we'll be getting into that when we get there, trust me. Um, but the, these challenges, I, I trust that, that our diving into the context and the message of the book of James are going to shed light and revelation on some of these challenges. And also even some current, present day debate and differences of emphases even within the small reformed world, there's 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 debate that happens, and and if you follow that stuff, understanding these things biblically is going to be very valuable for 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 deciphering right and wrong, uh, more broadly speaking. Another uh, reason, this is a little bit tangential, but it has to do with our church calendar. We've been uh, I, we had an Advent season. I preached on worship. Uh, then we had. Uh, we finished up the Leviticus series, and then through the, the Easter uh, season, all the way up until Trinity Sunday, last Sunday, we were preaching uh, messages from the lectionary. Um, and, and in the lectionary, Trinity season is all about the life of the church. It's the enfleshing of the gospel in the lives of men, and the working out of salvation in our hands and our feet. And this is consistent with the message of James, because the final reason we're getting into James, is that James is a very practical book. James is full of wisdom and truth for us. It's incredibly pastoral and pragmatic. It, it, it reads a little bit like a New Testament Proverbs or Ecclesiastes. Um, so that's partly why it has all these challenges. It invites us to work through and wrestle out what wisdom is. So as we, and, and you already know this, but as we, we go through this, we're going to be reading passages that are going to be super familiar because James is full of sound bites and memory verses uh, because it's just got, it's, it's concise, it's direct, it's hard hitting, and it's just like, yeah, I needed that and I need to apply that. So, so it's going to be full of those kinds of things. And it's because James is concerned with putting our faith into practice, doing it in the context of a fallen world. And that makes the book, in some sense, a manifesto. It's brief, direct, and compelling. And it's a manifesto to the early church, so it's filled for with wisdom for us in the new age. Um, James' personality comes through in the book. He was one of the sons of thunder. Jesus called him that, and he lives up to it. He, he's direct, and he has, a, he's a simple, he has a simple morality, a simple, a simple clearness to his thinking, and a direct approach to his teaching that is powerful instruction for the life of the Christian. Um, James teaches the way that Jesus it just like the, there are there are sections of James that sound they're almost directly pulled from the Sermon on the Mount. He he preaches, he teaches, he talks the way that Jesus did because 
he was Jesus' disciple. And when the disciple is mature, he becomes like his master. And so let us all become disciples of Jesus and disciples of James as we move forward here. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Christ, the wisdom of James, is humility and submission to God. That means entering into whatever he calls us to with faith. Sometimes that is great, great triumph, as in the diaspora of the early church, or in the loss, or sickness, or pain that we experience today. Sometimes he calls us to humility and service in the midst of great blessing as we recently experienced in our church, with repentance and restoration, with our potential new building, uh, with steady growth, with peace. But all of this repentance, I mean, all of this uh, service that God calls us to do is done in Christ. Here we humbly submit ourselves to God, that he might lift us up, that he might give us peace, and wisdom and grace to be his people and accomplish his will. Here we confess our sin and our deep need for God's grace and forgiveness. But here we are also lifted up and united to Christ and fed and nourished for his service. This table is for all baptized believers who are under Christ and his authority in the church. When we eat and drink the bread and wine, we acknowledge that we are sinners and that we have no hope except in the sovereign mercy of God and that we trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. Christ's body, broken for us. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.